Hey, it's Annabelle. Today I'm going to be talking about a true crime case. Now, true crime is always something I've been really interested in. It's always been very fascinating to me. I love reading about them, watching documentaries, YouTube videos, movies, and all that good stuff. So I figured this would be the perfect opportunity for me to talk about one that I feel like does not get enough appreciation, enough coverage. Even though it happened so close to where we live, it happened in Oakland County, so essentially in our community, and I, at least personally, had never really heard anything about this case until I started doing research for this project. So just a couple of things. It's probably going to be longer than 10 minutes. I'm doing my best to talk fast and compress all my information, but there is a lot of facts in this case and a lot of victims and suspects that I'm going to try to get through. Also, I apologize for any background noise. I'm in my backyard right now. So if you hear birds chirping and stuff, <laughs> that's why. So this case is the case of the Oakland County child killer. And this happened, of course, in Oakland County. Primarily, um, there's this stretch of land called the Woodward Corridor. Some people call it the Woodward Avenue. And it's a strip of wooded land that runs through um, most of Oakland County. And it's a very prominent area in this case because most of the victims were either last seen near here or here or their bodies were found there. So keep that in mind. Now, between the years of 1976 and 1977, there were seven children who were abducted and murdered. Only four of these children were linked to the actual Oakland County child killer serial killer but the other three i feel it's so important that they're mentioned because it was still three children who were murdered in this year period that i also feel like are not very well known or talked about and it's important that these children are still remembered and their names and what happened to them are still put out there even though i don't have time in this podcast i would love to cover their cases too because i did do all the research but i just don't have time to talk about that on top of everything else i have to talk about so let me shut up and jump right into it the first victim i'm going to talk about the first confirmed oakland county child killer victim was a 12-year-old boy named Mark Douglas Stebbins. Now, Mark was described as a loner, quiet, relatively smart, a good student. This happened on February 15, 1976, around 1.30 p.m. Mark called his mother to tell her that he was on his way home from the American Legion Hall. I'm not sure if he was there for a club or if it was something school-related or what, but it was in Ferndale as well as his home, so it wasn't very far. It wasn't far of a walk at all. So he called his mother to tell her that he would be home soon. He was on his way. However, that night, it hit 11 o'clock and Mark still did not return home. So eventually his mother called police to report him missing. And she said he was last seen wearing a blue parka, jeans, a red sweatshirt, and some black boots. Now, four days later, on February 19th, 1976, a man named Mark Bodekheimer was walking home from his office job in Southfield around 11.45 a.m. When he saw what he thought to be like a mannequin, like a dressed up mannequin in the back of a parking lot, kind of leaning up against the wall. So, of course, he was curious. He went over to go check it out, and it turned out to be the body of a young boy, which was later determined to be Mark Stebbins. Um, His cause of death was smothering, and he was found with small lacerations on the back of his head and some near his 
backside that area his wrists and ankles were discovered discolored i'm sorry from rope as if he had been tied up for these four days he was in captivity and his body was clean he seemed he didn't seem like he was wearing the same clothes for four days they were neat they weren't disheveled or dirty at all and neither was his body so of course police started investigating this they started asking people in the area if they had seen or heard anything and they got to a man that lived nearby who said he actually walked his dog at 9 30 the morning that mark's body was discovered and he walked his dog through that same parking lot and his dog didn't bark didn't run over there he didn't see anything so that man was almost positive that at 9 30 that morning when he walked his dog that body was not there so this gives investigators about a two hour and 15 minute window for when the body could have been dumped but that's about as far as the evidence in mark seven's case goes now 10 months pass it's now december it's christmas time and there's been no murders everyone's starting to you know relax um let their children go outside again calm down a little bit after this horrible thing happened to this young boy it's december 26 1976 there was a young 12 year old girl um named jill robertson who lived in royal oak she was described like similar to mark uh as smart and a loner didn't have very many friends but she was good in school and that night she actually got into an argument with her mother about chores as you do when you're 12 and you know her mom tells her get out and come back when you're ready to join the family typical mother-daughter argument so jill storms off packs a bag with clothes and a blanket takes her bike and she's gone now her of course her parents and her family think she's just gonna go around the block calm down come back but it it's a few hours pass and it's now 11:30 p.m that night and she still hasn't came home so her father calls 911 to report her missing now the thing i feel is the saddest about this is she went missing on december 22nd and her body was not found until december 26th which means her family had to celebrate christmas i shouldn't even say celebrate because i'm sure they couldn't even celebrate properly but they had to go through a christmas with out one of their children not knowing what happened to her there was even an interview with the sister that said it didn't feel like a christmas and they didn't even open their presents because they didn't want to open them without jill so the day after christmas um at 8 45 a.m her body was discovered along i-75 on the side of the road in troy she was laid on her back and she was shot in the head with a shotgun. She was still wearing her backpack that she had packed her things in when she left. And she had on the same clothes, which like Mark Stebbins were suspiciously clean as well as her body. And um, there was no sign of sexual assault on her. I don't know if I mentioned this with Mark Stebbins, but he was sexually assaulted i think i forgot to say that but it is very important detail because the boys in this case tend to get more sexual attention than the girls in this case so jill robinson was not sexually assaulted but mark stebbins was now one day later her bike was found behind some offices in royal oak it's undetermined whether or not she rode her bike there and then something happened to her from there or if her bike was dumped there by whoever did this 
Moving on to the third victim, we have Christine Mihalik. She was only 10 years old. She was also described as shy, an average student, few friends. Now, on January 2nd, 1977, her mother, Deborah Ashcroft, called 911 to report Christine missing. She said at 2 p.m. that day, she let Christine walk to the 7-Eleven near their house, which even though she was 10, it was the 70s. And on top of that, um, it wasn't far from her house at all. So her mother didn't feel like it was that big of a deal. So she did. She walked to the 7-Eleven at 2 o'clock. Um, the woman who was working in the store did vaguely remember seeing a girl matching her description coming in that day, but she never returned home. So whether something happened to her on her way home from the store before she got to the store, it's not really clear. But 19 days actually passed, and it's January 21st, 1977, and a mailman working in Franklin Village, Michigan, actually saw a hand sticking out of a snowbank and of course this alarmed him and it turned out to be the body of a young girl who was determined as Christine Mihalik. Now the cause of death was smothering which is the same as Mark Stebbins and her body was seemingly clean again. Um, it was determined she was in the snow for under 24 hours and there was no evidence of sexual assault with Christine. Now, when her body was found, her mother actually commented on how neatly she was dressed and how it seemed like she didn't dress herself, as well as how clean her clothes were for having been supposedly wearing them in captivity for 19 days. Her clothes should not have been as clean as they were unless someone had washed them and probably washed her as well. Finally, on to the fourth and final victim, we have 11-year-old Timothy King. Now, unlike the other victims, he was described as outgoing, well-liked, and athletic, and he lived in Birmingham, Michigan. On March 16, 1977, he was seen at 7.40 p.m. by his older sister when she gave him 30 cents to go to the local store and buy some candy. Now, that night, his parents were going out to eat, and I believe his sister had a rehearsal for the school play, so... Um, Timothy was going to be home alone, so he asked his sister could she leave the door cracked so when he got back from the store, he would be able to get in the house since no one was going to be there. So she agrees. She leaves the door cracked. I'm so sorry. There is a train right by my house, but um, she, she leaves the door cracked for Timothy, and around 9 o'clock when his parents and sister returned home, the door was still cracked, and there was no sign of Timothy anywhere. So, of course, they start to freak out, and by the next morning, there's a task force out looking for him. They did talk to the person who worked in the store, and they, the person did remember seeing a boy matching Timothy's description in the store that night. So, it is believed that he did make it to the store, and something happened to him on the way back. Another witness... Um, recalled seeing a boy matching timothy's description around 8 30 that night talking to a man in a blue gremlin with a white hockey stripe on the side now this detail is going to be very important when i get into the suspects so keep that in mind and so this case was very heavily in the media timothy's family was very like they felt that putting this case out there doing press conferences getting it on the news was their best hope of finding their child alive after They've already endured a year of children going missing and, you know, being found murdered. So there was one particular news conference where his mother said she was going to get him his favorite food, which was KFC, when he got home. And he was going to have his favorite meal 
and everything would be okay. And this new con- news conference actually went viral. So keep that in mind as well. March 22nd, around 11.15 a.m., three people called 911 to report a body found near the Woodward Corridor in Livonia. That's that location I said was going to be a prominent location for a lot of the um, victims in this case. I'm sorry. Now, this body was eventually determined to be that of Timothy King. He was found near his skateboard that he took with him to the store, and he did have rope marks on his wrist as well. His body was also clean, but unlike the other three victims, his body was like meticulously clean. There was not an inch of his body that was not cleaned, and it was almost to the extent where police believe that the killer may have some sort of OCD or some sort of compulsive cleaning disorder because of how neat his clothes and his body and his hair were. Um, His cause of death was also smothering like um, Mark and Christine, and he was sexually assaulted like Mark. So he was determined to have only been dead for six to eight hours when his body was found, And this is just the most heartbreaking part of this case to me. He was also determined that he was fed KFC one hour before he died, which, as his mother said on the press conference, was his favorite food. So whoever did this got him his favorite food, fed him his favorite food, and then not even an hour later, murdered him. Now, that is all I have for the victim. So now I'm going to get into some of the patterns in this case. So first of all, whoever this perpetrator is seems to only be sexually attracted to boys. The girls in this case were not sexually assaulted, only the boys were. They were all taken alone near parking lots or businesses and held captive for a period of 3 to 19 days. They were also all well-fed, kept indoors, and seemed relatively well cared for in like in the situation they were in of course they were still abductive and held abducted i'm so sorry and held captive but they were well fed you know they seemed like they had been bathed their hair wasn't nappy or anything um there was no sign of a surprise attack on any of these victims so it doesn't seem like someone snuck up behind them and you know snatched them it's almost like whoever did this can more convince them to go with him um so the last um pattern i'm sorry was that all the victims bodies were left very easily found so whoever did this it seemed like they wanted the bodies to be found they wanted to be found so of course with a case like this there's going to be suspicion there's going to be opposing arguments so here are some of the reasons that people believe that this may not have been the work of only one person so jill robertson was actually the only victim that was shot while the other three victims were smothered due to the time this happened the place this happened and the fact that her body was relatively clean she was alone like the other victims it she was linked to the oakland county child killer case as a victim in this case but many people do believe that she was murdered by somebody else because she was killed totally differently than all the other victims there was also some suspicion around the fact that the killer was seemed to only be attracted sexually to young boys people believe that maybe there was two different killers the one that killed the girls and one that killed the boys but it's not uncommon in serial killers to only be attracted to one sex but to still kill both sexes 
Now, the times in captivity, the times that the victims were held is also very different. There doesn't seem to be like a clear pattern of how long this person keeps them. And Timothy was meticulously cleaned, unlike the other three were also clean, but they were not as clean to the extent of Timothy, which leads some people to believe that he was actually murdered by somebody else. This is getting so long, but real quickly, I just wanted to go over the suspect profile that investigators created for the killer. It is determined that he is a white male between the age of 20 and 30 with above average intelligence, probably a white collar job. Um, it seemed that he is homosexual, it probably has some sort of mental issues, this compulsive cleaning, maybe OCD, something like that. And he lives in Southern Oakland. And for some reason, he wants the bodies to be found. So now that you know all that information, let's get into some of the suspects. So the first person I'm going to talk about is Archibald Edward Sloan. Now, a hair found in his 1966 Pontiac actually matched, matched hairs found at two of the crime scenes. Although the hair was not his, it's thought that he was an accomplice, maybe the getaway driver, because they, the hairs were found in his car. Um, and he also did work at a gas station near the murders at this time, but there wasn't enough evidence to convict him of this crime. Although he did get served life, he's serving life currently um, on unrelated sexual assault charges. Now, getting into the main suspect, this is the person that most people believe actually did this. We have Chris Bush. His dad was a CFO of General Motors, so he's a rich kid. He has a lot of money, um, which also means he has a lot of family homes in the area. I believe that his family had three homes in the Oakland County area, which gives him a lot of places for these murders to actually take place. In 1977, he lived two miles from the Woodward Ave uh, Woodward Avenue or Woodward Corridor, so the that location I was talking about earlier. Um, in January of 1977, he had multiple sexual misconduct charges against minors across four counties, including Oakland County. And at the end of 1977, a friend of his was actually arrested on the rape of a child and named Bush as the Oakland County child killer. While Bush was in custody being questioned, he said there are three places he went to molest kids commonly. And he named three places where three victims of the Oakland County child killer were last seen. Um, he was released with the bond and he just happened to move 2.4 miles away from where the last victim was seen. And then another detail, um, years later, a hair found on in one of the crime scenes led police to a man named James Gunnels, who I'm going to get into after Chris Bush, but there isn't really that much information about him. So I guess I can just mention it all now. Really, he just says that the hair was there because he was molested himself by Chris Bush in his car multiple times and that his hair must have transferred from the car onto Bush and then from Bush into this crime scene. So it's it seems like kind of a stretch, but there wasn't really a lot of other evidence against Gunnels and he maintains his innocence. So he was never charged or anything. But continuing with Chris Bush, he just so happens to drive a blue Vega, which is not the gremlin that the witness in, I believe, Timothy's case described, but it is a very similar car. And it, it also had the white stripe that the blue um, gremlin had that the witness described. So the witness could have just like had the wrong make of the car because how many 
blue cars with white stripes are there that you see in a day, you know? So he did go to court for those pending sexual misconduct charges he had, and he got probation. But while he was on probation on November 20th, 1978, he was actually found dead in his home from suicide. Now, a lot of people believe this wasn't actually suicide and that he was actually like revenge murdered or just murdered in some way because there was no gunshot residue found on his hand, which there would be gunshot residue found on your hand if you shot yourself. They, but while they were in his home, they actually discovered a lot of evidence that connected him once again to the Oakland County child killer case, which is shotgun shells, which Jill Robinson was shot with a shotgun, um, rope tied into ligatures already. So he had these this rope ready as ligatures, ligatures already. And most alarming, they found a drawing of a boy that heavily resembled Mark Stebbins screaming like screaming in pain a drawing of that on um bush's wall now furthermore to the evidence he owned a white dog and all four victims were found with white animal hair on them but there was i'm sorry i don't know why i said but but on top of that there was no more murders after his death so a lot of people believe it was him because after he died no more children were killed in oakland county but Despite all of this, a DNA profile was generated from DNA found on some of the victims, and it has matched none of these suspects. So I'm so sorry that was so long and I kept stumbling over my words. I've recorded this like five times, so every time I mess up, I don't want to just stop again because it's taking me forever. But now that I've covered all of the information of the actual case, I can get into the personal connection between me and this case. Now, but despite it being so close to where I live, in 1976, my grandparents actually lived in Highland, Michigan, which was very close to where all of these murders were occurring. And my aunt, my grandparents' first child, was born in 1976. So this is right around when all these murders were just starting to occur. My mother wasn't born until 1977, but at this point, my grandparents already knew that this was not somewhere that they wanted to raise a family. They didn't feel like it was a safe place to raise a family as all these kids are going missing and wound up murders, murdered. So they actually ended up moving up north. Now this connects to me because my mother actually met my dad up north. So if my grandparents had never moved because of the Oakland County child killer, I probably would not exist to this day. So yeah, that is my final project i'm so sorry this is literally 23 minutes long i did not realize i've been talking for this long but thank you so much for listening i hope you learned something and bye